tired of men monopolizing mansplaining. Luckily, we are here to provide relief from the mindless drone of men explaining to women what it's like to be a proper lady. And instead, we are here to talk about how to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining. An explication of hypermasculinity through popular culture. I'm your co-host, Brittany Walker. And I'm your other co-host, Kay Grossman. Welcome back. So, since we last spoke, Bernie has officially went up in flames. Eh, you get it? Feel the burn. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, Hilarious. I'm clever. Um, We now have a racist uh, toupee running for the Republican Party. Literally just a toupee. Just the toupee. Clinton is running for office. Again. And the entire world has become obsessed with a game from the 90s. Including both your co-hosts. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, team Mystic, in case you're curious. Not yet level five so don't have a team so embarrassing i know there's no there's no pokey stops on my walk to the bus Mm, excuses before our world comes to an official end uh once the toupee gets elected president it's always nice to have a little healthy dose of nostalgia so the 90s are back baby and actually, we were both 90s babies. We actually went alive when any of our last season's films came out. So we actually might have like tiny nascent memories of these movies we talk about now. That's so true because we were alive. So, Kay, favorite 90s movie just in general? Um, The Matrix, though I probably saw it in about 2007. So does that count? Everything's a little late when you're part of the JW crew. I so. like that. It, it sounds like, like a real cool group. When we make our motorcycle gang, can we call it the JW crew? Yeah, although I thought we were going to be a bicycle gang. Well, it is like a bicycle gang. Do we just make motorcycle noises as we ride? Vroom, vroom. Yes. So I never actually watched um, The Matrix. I can't wait. I cannot wait to show yeah. you, to introduce you to The Matrix. I know a lot about it. We talked about it in religion class. It's I- where it's it's where the how deep a rabbit hole goes. It's where the term the red pill comes from. It is. Where um, which um, it's the has taken on some interesting connotations. Yeah. Yeah. I don't recommend you look at them. It, it was like the OG Inception <laughs> is yeah. what I like to refer to it Yeah, as. I like that, actually. I'm stealing that. Yeah. Um, so your favorite 90s movie. Oh, it's man. It's really, really difficult for me. Okay, so I have several answers to this. Um, my first answer is Braveheart. I watched Braveheart so many times as an adolescent that I had, I was probably the only person alive that had the script memorized, Um, but I was so infatuated with Mel Gibson, as you will see in October when we dedicate our entire podcast to horror movies. Also can't wait. I am a 90s horror fanatic, mostly because of my love of Kevin Williamson, who just like destroyed the horror, not destroyed in a, a bad way, destroyed in a very positive way, uh, the horror movie genre in the 90s. And like, since the 90s, we have not been able to reclaim that like, beautiful, like teen horror movie, <laughs> like, just, ah, um, I, I'm excited. So a lot of horror movies, uh, one that's very close to my heart that I was discussing earlier, uh, was Pump Up the Volume. <laughs> Which I have also not seen. Yeah. But apparently was very formative to Britney's childhood. Um, specifically my sexuality. <laughs> because Christian Slater is fine. I mean, Kristen Slater in Heather's definitely was formative oh my, my sexuality. I well specifically actually like, everyone in Heather's was formative in my oh sexuality. My goodness. Let's yeah. be honest. Gizmo agrees. <laughs> um, Who coincidentally is the name of the dog in True Lies? That's so true. Way to make a connection. You are always willing to bring me back. Okay, so our first movie in the '90s is going to be True Lies. 
as always, mostly. This was Kay's first time watching True Lies. Um, I watched True Lies a bunch when I was a kid. The first time I watched it was probably, I was probably way too young for this to actually be appropriate for me to watch. I specifically remember the dancing scene being like very scandalous. Also uh, formative to your sexuality. Also, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis, screen queen. Surprisingly hot when she's not wearing her um, birth control glasses. Oh, it's so true. And also not like um, being on a commercial for like poop yogurt. <laughs> Which is really my primary association with her now. Um, Mostly because have you ever even watched the Halloween movies? No. See, you can't erase it from your mind. Like once Jamie Lee Curtis is the scream queen, she's the scream queen forever. Until she's the poop queen. Until she's the poop queen. And just her... I, I, I just imagine that every movie that she's in post um, Halloween series uh, is fan fiction of, of the girl from Halloween. <laughs> so like imagine like Freaky Friday. <laughs> this like alternate reality. So it's like it's all being imagined at a snow globe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So back on topic. Back on topic. So True Lies stars Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnold Schwarzenegger and a very young precious Eliza Dushku. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger stars as a secret agent. We meet him in the middle of what I guess is sort of routine, like it's a routine Saturday night for him, in the middle of a mission. He completes his mission, gets his files, leaves, blows everything up, and just goes home to his wife, um, who's fast asleep in bed. She thinks he's a banker that's on service trips. She's a legal secretary. They live a happy, boring life with their rebellious teenage daughter. She's none the wiser. But in the happy, boring life, she's getting a little well bored. She starts flirting with a guy who is a used car salesman, as sleazy as they come, and, surprise, surprise, pretends to be a secret agent. Arnold Schwarzenegger simply can't stand for this, and he follows her and stages a sting operation, as part of which he interrogates his wife behind a false mirror and with a voice voice disguised. It turns out she's never actually slept with Mr. Sleet, the used car salesman, but she is pretty bored in her marriage. As a way of retribution, and to kind of put this whole thing behind them, he sets up one last mission for her. She has to go to a hotel, get some information, put a plant, and then leave. Her guise is as a prostitute. Um, unfortunately, during this sting and during this setup mission, actual terrorists come in. Um, and they are kidnapped and taken to an actual terrorist haven. During this time, we meet the new terrorist, and Jamie Lee Curtis discovers that she's actually a pretty good, if blundering, shot. She comes into her own as an agent. Um, they reconcile, and they live happily ever after. The end. Da -da -da oh, Lato Al! <laughs> Midway through, I, I want to put this in because I think I want Ryan to edit this in somewhere in that summary. There's a scene in which Arnold Schwarzenegger rides a horse and chases a guy on a motorcycle, the terrorist on a motorcycle, and, and at some point, both the motorcycle and the horse end up in an elevator. It's great. It, it's in the 90s. I felt like, I feel like all movies needed a horsey where uh, you were riding through Central Park on a horse. <laughs> and it was mostly like the horse that they banned from Central Park now, <laughs> uh, which I think really like in the future, that's what's going to date these films is the fact that they had horses that people rode in Central Park. I mean, to be fair, the horse was a police officer's horse that mm -hmm. he commandeers in pursuit. You know, and, and it's and okay. He outranks him in like his super secret force that we don't know yeah. who it is. 
after watching all these 80s movies for the first time, mostly, when we go into True Lies, kind of what was, what were you thinking there? Um, I really liked True Lies. I had problems with it, um, which is as to be expected. It was funny. It was really, I think it it was funnier than any of the movies we watched, though that obviously would cherry picked up movies for the first season. So yeah. not a representative sample. Um, I thought the action was more bombastic. It was definitely more ridiculous. Well, uh, fun fact about True Lies, um, it was actually the first movie to go over $100 million for a movie budget, which I speculate they spent the majority of it on that really terrible, like, I imagine it wasn't like CGI. Yeah, I mean, CGI existed, sort of. I I feel like that kid in my class that was like, what did you do before cell phones? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I imagine they just did it on that one explosion and then like the horse. Like is where like all the money went to. But yeah, I I agree. Uh, It was over the top and um, I have very fond memories of True Lies having watched them a a lot of times. Um, What I was talking about doing true lies with my next door neighbor she's like that's the movie that's always on tv that's right? true <laughs> actually there's a there's a really good grantland article that i read in preparation for this podcast that says exactly the same thing yeah there's actually just a, a channel dedicated to it now where they just do like 24 hours of true lies you know i would watch that it is a perfectly good movie to watch 15 minutes of you don't lose much of the plot no the plot doesn't matter really no no i mean i didn't actually know what was happening through the majority of it and i still had fun yeah. Um, um, so critical reception for this movie was pretty solid. It got or 378 at the box office. So making back its $100 million budget multiple times. Yeah. It got pretty favorable reviews. Siskel and Ebert were divided on it, but they ultimately both uh, gave it pretty... Ebert uh, loved it. Ebert loved it. Ebert gave it a three, three stars. Yeah. Siskel was more ambivalent. He had some issues that we're actually going to talk about later in the podcast with its depiction of women. Uh, the New York Times gave it glowing reviews. And um, both critically and um, commercially, it was a great success. Yeah, um, which makes sense. It, it's a good movie. It was made uh, at the beginning of the 1990s, 1994. It was based off of this uh, French comedy that was made in 1991 that was actually based off of a book called... Um, La Totale. Actually, sorry, I didn't say it appropriately because there's an exclamation point at the end. So it's La Totale. Uh, wait one second. Let me try again. <laughs> La Totale. I imagine. Was, uh, What's a French? I can't do French accents. One second. 100% no. I have a really good Arnold impression I'm going to do later. Uh, also 100% no. Uh, as your podcast co-host, I am vetoing that for your own sake. That movie with an exclamation point. La Totale. Um, so this is a remake of a movie based on a book. And I I like to imagine that it just got more ridiculous as it got made and then remade. I don't know if that's the truth. Well, a lot of the things stayed the same. Like uh, the horse motorcycle. I don't know about the horse. I I know that like Bill Paxton, like the character with the secret affair, that guy was also like a crummy car salesman. Like I know that. It it kept the key points. Yeah. Like it was very, very similar from what I've read. Um, So I think um, one of the good thing, one of the things I liked about this movie is unlike some of the movies we've watched um, recently, it was pretty much a comedy action movie. It did not take itself seriously. So it, 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 it's even its premise. Um, Give me the context of what's happening here. So since we last talked, since we last went to the movies, we switched from the 80s to the 90s. Um, and a, politically, a lot happened. Mainly the Berlin Wall fell and the fall of the Soviet Union in, eight, in um, 1989. 
Um, at this point, the Soviets, we, we reached a tentative peace with the Soviets. They're no longer even Soviets. Um, Russia's opened up to democracy, and they can no longer be the big bad. So instead of having Russia be the big bad, we need to introduce a new big bad. And this is one of the first movies, at least that I've watched, earliest movies that I've watched, in which the big bad is Islamic terrorism. Mm -hmm. I mean, at this point in the world, having Islamic terrorism as the big bad seems, well, not at all shocking because um, we're, we're seeing this is po we live in a post 9-11 world. I mean, there literally has not been a point in our lives in which we were not at war with brown people. Yeah. So, but at this point, this is kind of a new concept. It's, it to me, it feels like James Cameron, the director, is kind of experimenting with who can be our new baddie. Yeah. And, and so this ushers in an era where... Um, the baddie is the Middle East. Yeah. And specifically, you know, terrorism within Yeah, that. terrorism. Yeah. And terrorism as a homegrown operation instead of a mass yeah. government-sponsored organization. Right. Um, which I think is actually also a, sh a pretty major shift. Oh, yeah. Instead of being the bad, the baddie being a government organization, like an overarching Soviet force. Mm -hmm. It is smaller cells. Yeah. Um, as it is in this movie. So I think that just politically, we are entering an entirely different era. Mm -hmm. And some of the anxieties that that's, this era spawns I, are going to be apparent in these movies. So... Um, since we do actually run a gender, not a political podcast, though, if you wanted, we could make that happen. Readers, Wait, we run a feminist podcast? Is that what we... <laughs> um, did you come in the wrong door today? Did um, I tell you? There, there's, there's a gym here, a Pokemon gym, and I was just stepping in. There's not a Pokemon gym. There's actually a Pokestop. You should know. That's true. Um, um, did I ever tell you about the time in college where I ended up walking to the wrong class and it was taught... I think that it was a grad class and it, the professor started off the class by talking in ancient Greek as a way to scare his grad students, but it also scared me. And I uh, walked out. I like looked at the professor and said like, I have to go and then walked out and hid. That owns. Um, one, of my, so, yeah. one of my favorite, I'm going to share this story too. One of my favorite English professors, um, how he started was kind of like a sample lesson and it wasn't even a hard lesson. Of course, I'm, you know, an English major, so like whatever, but it was one of those genetic. Audit your privilege. Yeah. Well, it was one of those like gen ed english classes and he stands up and he goes he basically goes if this isn't your jam you can walk out now and i'm thinking in my head like who's really gonna walk out <laughs> and then four people <laughs> walk out slowly stand up and get their backpack and i'm just like oh my god um so we do run a, a, a feminist podcast it's called mansplaining i don't know if you've heard of it and generally what we do is we talk about gender roles and how our gender roles are shaped by pop culture and mm -hmm. how we can kind of see that and what is great about this movie that I think really shows where we are with gender at, at this time in 1994 is how kind of ambiguous the gender roles. Not, It's kind of how what I like most about this movie is that it kind of shows the fine line that we are with um, gender and the woman's role. Yeah, um, I mean... I think in the in the in the movies we saw from the eighties, there's the tension is caused by the women working. Yeah, and that's not so much the tension in this. No. Um. So I think in, instead, it's what what the woman's role is in the family in 
and in the overall plot of the movie, which is slightly progressive. I mean, it is it yeah. is progress. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm so used to Die Hard, you know, the woman working was seen as this nuisance and it was super negative. And, you know, the resolution can only come at the end when she's back in her, like, you know... Corrective place. Yes. But there is no negative to the woman working yeah. here. It's yeah. just I mean, part it's, of her daily life. Yeah, it's not... It, I, it's a character attribute in that it makes her boring. Yeah. It is another signifier of her boring life. But it is not a worthy plot note. Yeah, and, and I think that and her as a mother, kind of as a single mother because the father's not really there. <laughs> Constantly gone. Um, Actually, that bring, I hadn't thought about that until you just said that. One of the interesting things is that there's no tension between her role as a mother and her role as a working woman. Yeah. Um, which is kind of refreshing. Yeah. I mean, she has it all. Yeah, she's like, they're, they're clearly figuring out that women can be both and that it's possible for women to coexist without a male there. Um, the, the negative comes actually with the absent father. One of the other negatives I see, but I, I want to jump in before you talk about the father, okay. is that it means that we have to open ourselves up, up to finding other means of gender conflict. Yeah. And some of those, as we're going to talk about, are pretty problematic and upsetting. So on one hand, it's really nice to see a woman working and con- and working and being a mother without that being the source of tension. The fact that we still do need a feminist source of t- or a, a source of tension revolving around gender tends to manifest in some unpleasant ways. Yeah. Um, um so one of the things you were talking about is the father. Yeah, so there's this incompetence that's portrayed through Arnold as a father because he's never there and as a result the daughter it's kind of like the family is torn because there's an absence of a male figure. So, you know, without the presence of Arnold, Ar- Arnold, Arnold, uh, Arnold, Arnold, there we go. Arnold, Arnold, no, don't stop. We're gonna edit this out. <laughs> I hope. Um, <laughs> without the presence of Arnold, there. So, without the presence of Arnold, the daughter is with this like troubling man, boy guy. The mom is off, not having an affair, but having this kind of flirtation, like, flirtation, potential affair. Yeah, you know, he's he's putting his work before his family, and as a result, he's not fulfilling his role, his manly role as the head of the house. Yeah, he's he's absent. Um, he misses his own birthday. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess my question here is. Do the ends justify the means? All right. So this is a story about a father who loves, well, a, a husband who loves his wife, who who loves his daughter. But also loves his work. But also loves his job. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to find balance between the two. Can he, can a man ha- in 1990 have it all? Yeah. Can he? Um, and, but the, the way that he goes, and, and you know, of course, this is a movie and we all know that th- Movies have to end with everything in the correct spots. Mm-hmm. So do the ends justify the means? This is a story about a father trying to reclaim his position in the family. And it's basically two hours of what could also have been accomplished with fewer bullets and more marriage counseling. That's so true. Um, family therapy is really what needs to happen here. But instead, we set up a sting operation, humiliate his wife, be humiliated in turn, and ultimately set things right. Yeah. Um, one of so one of the troubling things we're gonna be talking about here is consent. One of the most troubling scenes in the movie is when his wife thinks that she's going on a, a secret mission. Yeah. Um it's after she's been caught in her sting operation with the used car salesman 
slash pot slash imposter secret agent yeah um Um, and and in this interrogation she is told if you do this one mission for us which can happen at any time we won't send you to prison um it's her husband you know making her do this and he's the one that's overseeing this whole thing so it it removes the the initial creep factor, but it's still pretty creepy. So he sets up a sting operation, and as part of the sting operation, she's interrogated. He gets to the bottom of whether she still loves him, which she does. She's just bored. And as as part of her um, comeuppance, he has her go to, he, you know, as the secret government agency, disguise voice, has her go to a hotel, pretend to be a prostitute, pretend to put on a um, wiretap, and um humiliate herself she has she um does a very sexy dance she strips down again to her underwear. slowly uh, and <laughs> that was part of the um movie and it's supposed to and and it's it's framed in this comedic manner because it is arnold Schwarzenegger, who's her husband um has excitement it's it's done for for both their benefits and it's, it's just it's harmless fun yeah but it's, it's pretty problematic because she's it, there's definitely coercion because it's as, as the audience we're supposed to see this as like super charming and funny like she is you know dancing kind of awkwardly at first and then she gets kind really of gets into, in into it and it. sexy and and silly and she's yeah enjoying it it's and and he like drops the the recorder you know the and voice like, modifier the vo- voice modifier yeah um but i want us to imagine this scene if this From was her perspective from her perspective as if this was an actual stranger which she thinks it is um and then that's when the scene becomes problematic it becomes so creepy because yes she chose to go there but she was coerced in that it's she doesn't really this mission or go to prison yeah there's not really a choice there like yeah. she's given the 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 false illusion that there's a choice but there's but there's, there's not she's it's it's like when you're with a toddler and you tell them like do you want to eat peas or carrots and like that's not really a choice that's not really no they no don't toddler's eat. gonna choose to eat any of these toddler i mean no, i won't either like well yeah i mean they don't want to eat vegetables yeah but when but the illusion of choice makes it okay yeah um and, um, it, and it's like that it's so one thing that i okay first thing when i watched this it seemed very like bdsm to me there's this she wants to be controlled like that's what i think the appeal of bill paxton was to her yeah is that that he was bossing her around and giving her these missions and that like getting bossed around and being controlled like excited her the same with the like why she like starts getting into the dancing and like the missions and all this other stuff um so there's kind of like wanting to be dominated a little bit um but the the problem here is there's no safe word yeah (laughs) which is pretty necessary or consent (laughs) also required you know never once does she say hey let's role play you know um, when essentially that is what this is this is it's 100% role play but without any of the things that make role play and bdsm okay yeah exactly uh the second thing i want to talk about is how this is kind of a form of punishment. Yeah. We were talking about how she was demoralized and embarrassed by asking to come and perform this dance in front of this person she thinks is a stranger. But Arnold is also, I don't really know his name. Um, Harry, which is a boring name. A boring white name. So Harry is asked, um, Harry is demoralized and embarrassed as a man, his masculinity kind of taken from him um, when his wife 
kind of has this quasi affair. Yeah, quasi affair. Bill Paxton. Yeah, he's a used car salesman. Exactly. You're a secret agent. Exactly. He, like his and masculinity. You your wife was insulted, and as you know, a result, he had to punish her and like put her in her place and like kind of reclaim his control over his wife. But also that punishment backfires. Yes. Because when, while he is quote unquote punishing her, while they're becoming equal again and she's doing this sexy dance, the actual terrorists come in and he puts his wife, and because he staged this elaborate thing, it puts his wife, someone he loves, in grave danger. Yeah. Um, he almost gets her killed. Yeah. So um, what does that say about actual masculinity? Like, about pride? Right. I mean, also, it says much counseling is a good thing instead of misappropriating government funds. Yeah. No. Um, instead of staging his entire sting operation to scare the person that your wife is having an affair with you. Yeah. On what? Anyway, um, so it, it's this, con- this issue with control and possession. What is his, um, you know, and I, I think if this all goes back to, you know, the idea is your wife as a possession when you get married and this was a way to kind of reclaim her body as his. He is telling her, like, her physical body, like, what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has no say in it. The next thing I want to talk about is the women in the film, which there are exactly three. There is um, Elijah Duke, Dushku. There four. Are, four. four speaking roles for women. Elijah Dushku, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, her colleague in... Um, Jamie Lee Curtis's colleague in her secretarial um, and, and then the evil girl. And the evil girl Juno. Yes. Um, what I think Played is... Played by Tia Query, who also helped awaken my nascent sexuality. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing that is really cool in this movie is them women strong as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when there is not physically, a, a man... mentally. Yeah. When there's not a man physically pre- present, these women kick ass. Like, they get into these... I, I don't want to say cat fights because they're not... They are, like, full-blown, like, fist fights. Yeah. Even Jamie Lee Curtis, like... I'm going to go back to that dancing scene. Yeah. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who she thinks is a stranger, starts, like, trying to seduce her and trying to touch her, which she was, like, was not in the business. She, like, kicks him in the balls, puts on a dress faster than I have ever put on a dress, and starts running out. Yeah, I mean... Go, girl. That, and also, that is, like, the only scene when a man is present that, that shows, because what, what I'm wanting to say is... Oh, am is, I undermining your point? Oh, well, I mean... Yes, but... (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, I I mean... No, I think that's a a good point, but throughout the entire movie, like, after, like... After he shows himself as, like, her husband, there's, like, two movies going on here. There's, like, the fake movie with, like, the the fake, like... Taylor's plot. Yeah. The real Taylor's plot. The real. So, when we go into the real movie, um, he... Every time there's not a man there, she's kicking ass. Um, Juno, kicking ass. Um, but as soon as a man becomes present in the scene... They become either undermined by, like, Juno, like, two times when she made decisions herself or messed up according to her, like, man terrorist part. She's slapped and kind of legitimately put in her place. In the case of Jamie Lee Curtis, every single time a man isn't present, you know, she suddenly can't figure out how to exit a car through a sky roof and walk onto the road. Um, The car was going pretty fast. No, no. That girl could have done it. <laughs> that girl could have done it, but the physical presence of a man made like de- debilitized, de- debilitated, debilitated that word her into this like Nickelodeon slime putty. 
where like she's Gross. incapable of like fending for herself because her knight in shining armor is there to protect her. So I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. You know, um, women are powerful. They're capable of power. But when men, you know, are present, they take up that space and kind of like make them incapable of like harnessing that power. I don't know if I entirely agree with all of that because I think there's some counter examples. Um, But that ruins my claims. So you can't actually use those. That's just how like literature works. I'm not actually. Okay. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm not actually. Go ahead. I'm trying to remember the exact sequence because she kills as many terrorists as he does. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, at least as many. Um, But does she do like a helicopter into the sky where she just like bullets the entire window of like 40 terrorists in like one go? No, she does not. Um, But but then there's also Eliza Dushka's character who strong she's oh yeah abjectly strong when the terrorist is in the womb she steals the key for the nuclear code or nuclear bomb and climbs out on a crane which is not the cleverest like go where were you gonna go but it's is brave like- and and she's and even when her dad comes in his inexplicable fighter jet she hangs on. She continues to fight. Yeah, I agree so, with that. So I think that she's given all the female characters in this movie are given a pretty substantial amount of agency, at least when it comes to the actual physical action, like classical action movie parts. They're right. not necessarily damsels in distress. Um, Eliza Dusha's character, though she is the hostage, though she is like the one he's trying to rescue, is also does a pretty good job of kicking butt on her own. Yeah, no, I agree. So, Especially in the case of the daughter. Yeah, I think Jamie Lee Curtis's character could have been less mumbling and and more badass, but she she takes a lot of agency. And and what I thought was interesting is this movie. Um, New York Times found this movie to be very feminist because of the character growth that Jamie Lee Curtis's character gets. Um, I don't know that I would go so far to say this movie is particularly feminist because there's some problematic lines. Damn it. But I think that's a worthy consideration. I mean, this is the only movie that we've seen so far where it doesn't go from her being a secretary to her being a secretary. Yeah. You know, she she, she goes from being a secretary... To a secret agent. Yeah, like, that's pretty hardcore. That's pretty badass. But also, when she... The movie ends with her... The family in a traditional nuclear family... Mm-hmm. Um, happy and together and she presents herself As more typically feminine her hair is longer she's gotten rid of the real ugly glasses she's dressed in more form-fitting clothing um she can act more feminine yeah um so i think that's a real balance the movie doesn't quite have but it, it tries it's it tries it's slightly more progressive and i think it goes back to that question does the end justify the means like yeah at the end you know, it's great, but it's all that really iffy, consensual stuff in the middle that's weird and, and makes it There's murky. Some, yeah. um, I want to talk a little bit about men because um, that's what we do. We're supposed to do on this podcast is talk about men. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, dudes. So, you know, in Top Gun, I'm going to go back a few. If you've been listening to us, stop now. Go back. Listen to the Top Gun episode. Come back. Press play. Um, so in Top Gun, our beloved Tom Cruise is um sanctioned for his emotions that's what i want to say what you just said Kay. that is exactly what was in my head and that's why you're my co-host um so or you're my co-host we're each other's co-host the point is you're my work wife yes um the point is is uh they said no tom cruise stop crying over your best friend that's super gay in like 
both a negative way and also in a homosexual way, but we talked about that on the Top Gun podcast. Go listen to it right now. However, this is a little bit different. When Arnold, Arnold, finds that his wife has been cheating, he is defeated. He walks walks in front of a bus. He walks in front of the bus, and then Tom Arnold says this really funny quote about ice trays. That bitch left, even took the ice trays out of the fridge, which is a true story about Tom Arnold's um, divorce from Roseanne Barr. Okay, fun fun story about Tom Arnold. He was like the negotiate, like he was, I don't know uh, a a word for this. Um, So James Cameron. My heart will go on. That guy. Um, that's how that song goes, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so James Cameron was like, yo, bros, if my um guy, Tom Arnold, can't be in this movie, it's a no-go for me. And the studios are like, you heard about this problems with him and his ex-wife? He's and- on all the gossip mags right now. Right. Like, this is some trouble and shit. And he's like, eh, Tom Arnold or no movie. And that's true lies yeah. because of Tom Arnold. Like, he is, you, you would think Arnold? No, he's, uh, Tom Arnold's the bread and butter here. Yeah. Tom Arnold's what we came to the show Tom for. Tom Arnold's the Arnold that matters. Y- yes. He is the other Arnold. The better Arnold. Arnold 2.0. Yes. Prime. <laughs> Arnold Prime. Um, so. Um, so. But, it- <laughs> but um, he he's the stereotypical male in this movie. He's like, oh, women, am I right? Can't live with them. Can't live without them. Bitches, bitches, bitches. Literally, he says, he calls them bitches a billion All times. Time. Like, it's like what he thinks girls are called. Yeah. And um, he's, he's the misogynist and he's presented as clearly the one i mean he is clearly the sidekick and clearly the one whose views are wrong like yes i mean that's why he's divorced that's why he couldn't he couldn't keep he couldn't keep the family um the point is is back to emotions all right arnold just saw that his wife may or may not be cheating on walks in front of the bus he's so sad and it's okay that he's sad. It's yeah. okay that he's he's upset. It's okay that he's misappropriating government resources in order to get her back. Right, because he loves her and it's okay that he's showing that love. And that my 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 audience, my my listeners at home, my my G- dear, dear friends, gentle readers, gentle l- listeners. listeners that is progress. It is actually. I think. I think we start. We start seeing like some of it in Top Gun, but it's pretty damn explicit in this. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we even talked about the progress that we kind of saw in Rambo. What? Yeah. What, Rambo. What Devil. movies do we watch? What What is this podcast? I don't remember. In one of those ones that we did before, we talked about how there was progress, and you can see that. Oh, progress um, it was now. the one with Mel Gibson that you we saw Mel Gibson's butt. <gasps> lethal, lethal Weapon. Yeah. <laughs> lethal Weapon. We talked a lot about it, and I think, yes. but that was more just interpersonal growth and this is or intra interpersonal growth and this is intra blah 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 i'm not gonna try Something that about growth he it's the growth of emotions with his family with the people he loves and cares about and and that is the right choice that yeah. is not a choice that should be sanctioned that is the hands down correct choice for him to be making from a societal viewpoint and that's important yeah um because hey love is cool well well i think what i love about it is you know not only is this movie showing the transition of women at the time and how we're accepting their new like dual roles as woman i guess triple woman wife you know a worker um and and mother you know and all those things can coexist it's also showing how like you know these traits that we stereotypically define as feminine can coexist within a male body a family man um Um, and i think that's i mean that's special i mean i think it's important at the end he chooses his wife over work like we'll get to that um I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead. He chooses his <laughs> he chooses his his wife over his job, which is something he hadn't done in the past. 
And um, that's the correct choice. So cute moment. He danced a lot with her. Dance is all sexy. The tango. He can't resist the tango. Yeah. Arnold loves the tango. No, it turned into something weird there. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it started out okay. Arnold, I'm still working on it. I'll get it by the end. I mean, we're going to be watching a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. He's Arnold. He's the divine. Okay, please don't. Okay, so let's talk about race. Let's talk about race, baby. Let's talk about brown people. Um, There's a lot of controversy at the time because this is pretty uh, anti-Muslim. Um. I don't know if you noticed while watching this movie, but they basically only kill people who are not white, aka brown people. Um, and not only that, but they like to emphasize the fact that they are killing brown people. Like every before every single time they shoot um, a Arab, they they show a death scene. Like well, it's they, gratuitous. Yeah, like what they 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 flash to him. Like they always have to show their face. Like no, it's okay that we're killing these people because they're not American or because they're not white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And actually, fun fact is that um, Arab Americans actually protested True Lies when it came out in two thousand in um, nineteen ninety four. There was an advo- There was a network of advocacy groups. Um, Rightly so. That that protested. Yeah. Indeed. Um, um, so that's important. Also, um, these terrorists are kind of like the caricature, caricatures oh, absolutely. of like Arab terrorists. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I... The, they're overly... I mean, they are absurdly religious. No, that, cut that because that's not exactly that's what not I true. mean. They, I mean, they are. They're, they're very... They're bleh, bleh. I'm trying to figure out how to articulate what I want to say. Continue. You go. Um... One thing that I thought was really interesting, um, and this is mostly just because I'm, this is mostly because I'm kind of always toiling with this question of how politics insert themselves into Hollywood. Yeah, like you were saying, the intersection of politics and movies, because obviously politics inform movies and movies inform politics. Yeah. Um, the creation of a collective consciousness of what enemy is 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 largely defined by popular culture. Um, fun fact: uh, True Lies was actually banned in fifty four Arab countries, which again warranted um, the the scene that kind of I guess made this question come up again for me was the scene where the terrorist leader, who I don't think ever got a name, I don't believe so, um, also problematic, in front of all the people working for him, goes. You guys call us terrorists, you know, but you're bombing our cities, you're killing our people, and you're calling us the terrorist. You know, we want to prove to you guys that basically we we won't be pushed around. And I think what I love about this scene is it calls into question just for a moment who really are the bad guys. Um, and it, it's very small, but it's in this moment that kind of makes me question, you know, these conservatives are always quick to say that, like, Hollywood is poisoning us with these liberal ideas, you know, that maybe we shouldn't kill people just because we have a different, you know, political belief than them. And and in this instant, the, the movie is playing with that, you know, it's toying with that idea. But at the end, all things have to be right, all you know, made right, yeah. all yeah. things have to be made right. And, you know, he kills all of the non-Americans. Um, Arnold, you know, symbolized as America, um, beats them, and the family's reconnected, and Arnold at the end chooses his wife over his work, and the wife is reclaimed as his property, um, as seen in the last scene with the wedding ring before they kiss after the big explosion, you know, and everything is made right. 
Good job. So, you know, even if Hollywood kind of plays with this idea of liberal politics or any sort of anti-American sentiment, sentiment, at the end, all things have to in where they're supposed to and and true lies is no different yeah um it's it's you're not left questioning with this movie of who's right who's wrong yeah um but there are definitely problematic elements to um the sexist and racist depictions and i think what is also kind of nice to know is that even in 1994 when this movie came out this was discussed it was discussed in popular media in um entertainment weekly people magazine they talked about the protests and and the commentary that was being made about whether this movie was sexist or racist. And just starting that conversation is still really important. And it's a conversation that obviously, as our podcast indicates, we're still continuing. Yeah. So um, I think that's all we ha- I have to add. I, I did want to make t- two points. Um, the first is in relation to Arnold and Trump, who are both conservative politicians. Yeah. Hey, remember that time was, was when Arnold Schwarzenegger running for governor was the weirdest thing that happened in politics? We live in a bizarre world. Yeah. I'm pretty uh, sure this is like the darkest timeline. <laughs> um, what, what I wanted to say, though, is, you know, Trump is very worried about American immigrants. And Arnold is an American immigrant. Immigrant to America. Okay. Yeah. The point is, so this is a lead up to something that I think is funny that will end up crashing and burning because I'm actually not a funny person. But we have Arnold. Okay. Hear me out, Kay. Okay. I'm looking at you skeptically. I, I'm glad that you narrated that because sometimes I forget this is a podcast and they can't see um, our faces, which is unfortunate because we always look really cute. Um, Trump. Yes. Is like, those immigrants are taking our jobs. You're supposed to say, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, going. okay, get, keep going. It's like a knock-knock joke, but, like, not. It's different. Okay. okay. So, um, the immigrants are taking our jobs. Yeah. Okay. So, Arnold, right? Yeah. Arnold, also an immigrant, right? Yes. Yes. You got it. Okay, cool. So, um, he comes in. He's, like, reigning victorious over um, his his battle with the brown people representing America. Hoorah, hoorah, USA. Right? You got me going? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Trump is right. Yes. No. No, he's right. Okay, because because Arnold is coming to America and stealing Americans' jobs as the American hero in action films. Which? Okay. No? Do you get it? I, I do get it. I'm just, I was making, oh, and Trump is making a face. And I was. Okay. The second thing I had is, okay. Yes. I have two questions. Oh, God. I know. This this never ends well. The first one? Yes. What is your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Uh, Last Action Hero. When we watch it, I will tell the incredibly embarrassing story of going on a first date with someone and watching it. And first and only date. Mm. So, and that's for future time. Second is a request. Yes. I spent a lot of time on this podcast. Yes. Trying to say Arnold the way that Arnold would say it. No, I got it anywhere. I still haven't gotten it. Point is, I want your Arnold impression. I don't know. Take your risk. It's yes and. Arnold. Arnold? Arnold. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be, I'll be back. Did you ever do the joke when you were a kid where you would, you said, I'll be back, and then you'd be like, what are you, handle? And it was like a classic music joke. It was a good joke when I was a little kid. <laughs> um, I didn't get how much. Well, normal people had funnier jokes, so I never said that one. I'll be back. You'll be I'll Handel. Be- hey, hey, guys. Schumann, hey, maybe, guys. if you were trying to be, like, real progressive, maybe Beethoven. Hey, and- hey, hey, okay, we're going to do this together. You ready? Yes. All right, kids. 
Will will be. Why oh. did you read my mind? Holy mess! Okay, let's try it. Ready? One, two, three. We'll, we'll be, be back. back. Oh Jesus! Okay, let's try. Let's try it quieter. Just whisper it. Whisper it. So okay, ready? We'll be back. Now that sounded creepy, no, like a horror movie. Okay, let's try it one more time, and then we'll cut it. You ready? Okay. Oh yeah, I'm liking that boy. Keep it coming. You ready? Yeah. We'll be back. Yes. <laughs> Um, don't we have to do like outro credits though? Oh, no, I mean like. Uh, thank you for watching. Oh, oh, um, sister podcast. We don't have any because we are failures at the River City Archery Club. We've been too busy practicing our archery skills to actually make podcast. But um, we do have a a um, music person to thank um, that I can't remember the name. Jenny Gogos. <laughs> uh, it's, it's Kenny Kenny Oo. Um, it turns out that podcasting is not like riding a bicycle. You do f- actually, riding a bicycle is actually also not like like riding a bicycle, but you sort of forget about how to do it. KennyKennyOO at ba- dot bandcamp.com yeah. for more information about them. They're great. We love them. Um, we If we mention print and play podcasts, maybe it will um, obligate them. Appear. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> obligate them to do more podcasts. I know some more quests bound and down is in the process. And our lovely Dr. Savannah is in, in the... In negotiations with starting um a, a cat podcast just catch it <laughs> you gotta get your cat shit under control okay bye <laughs> bye gentle listeners <laughs>